on our planet Earth, one phenomenon has been found so fundamental and so universal, it has become an inspiring metaphor for humankind. That feature is the circle of life, and it is in that fashion that we say goodbye to on the left side. As the episodes of On the Left Side gradually decay and form a thick, audible mulch on the noise floor, their content and metadata are broken down and filtered by the many search engines and hosts that inhabit the podcasting eco-web, providing stimulation and nourishment to new podcasts already beginning to grow in this fertile habitat. And cut. Okay, everybody, let's reset and go again. Crikey. Jesus Christ. Anything you liked, didn't like about it? You don't like the voiceover, do you? No. <laughs> okay, guys, uh, we're going to go again in a minute. Uh, can you make sure the whales are mic'd up? Uh, get the baby back in the eggs. And David, make a bit of effort this time. On the left side. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Hello. 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 Hello, I'm Jim. I'm Dawson Adebayo. I'm Alex Boardman. I'm Amy Christopher. I'm Damien St. John. I'm Ant, and this is On on the the Left Side. The funny football show. Hello, this is On the Left Side, the alternative football gym. (laughs) <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye on the left side. The best football podcast. Let's have it. Are we started? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. My name's Ant. I'm the producer of On the Left Side, and this is the angry, bitter, ranty, and often quite funny Jim. Hello. Obviously, we've told people that we're calling it a day. We're not coming back. But before we do that, I want to I want to sort of have a little bit of a a walk down memory lane, if that's the right, or to memory fields. I want to go back and look at some of the stuff that we've done, and some people who helped make the show over the years have sent us some bits as well, uh, which we're going to put in. Mm. But I want to go right back to the very beginning. We're going back to the intro again, not the beginning of time, the dawn of history. <laughs> no, well, I I, I just want to go right back to how the show started and where the name came from. Now, bear in mind, when we started out, Brendan Rodgers was still the boss at Liverpool, although that lasted about two weeks. Roy Hodgson was in charge of England. Uh, Barack Obama was in charge at USA. And um, no footballers uh, or even fans had ever seen those funny bra crop top things that people were in training now. Nobody even heard of COVID. You know, Bury had a football club. So wow. it's a different different world completely. We've had a couple of tournaments. Most clubs have had different managers. Some clubs have had different grounds. But let's go back to October 2015 because the first I knew about it was you came to me and said, I, I want to do a, a show. I've had this idea. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a funny time for me because I'd just been made redundant and I worked for a radio station that no longer exists and my job was made... Uh, non-existent courtesy of Chris Moyles which was a nice thing for him to come and do so I kind of found myself 
needing something to do. I was a producer on a breakfast show. And I'd been listening and making podcasts for quite a long time. But I think I had an idea that was something a little bit different, something a little bit more crafted and much shorter than the usual hour-long podcasts you had out there, kind of playing to shorter attention spans. I'd always been a big fan of the likes of Charlie Brooker, and I kind of thought, well, can we do the kind of thing Charlie Brooker does with news, but with football, keep it really short. The original concept was five minutes, and I think we ended up stretching to like half an hour with some episodes, so that kind of went out the window. But do really kind of tight, funny five-minute episodes and spend a load of time just crafting it and adding all the production value in, adding all the nice sound effects and whatnot in, um, which I couldn't be fuck to do, which is why I gave you a call and said, Ant, how about you come and make this with me? So the transfer window has slammed shut once again. Firstly, why does it always slam shut? Surely the window has been closing slowly since the beginning of July. You'd hardly win a big argument by slamming a door shut slowly over a three-month period, would you? Right, that's it. I've had enough. I'm leaving. In the little intro thing you played at the start, the nice little production thing, it, and I know it's all very tongue-in-cheek, and it's, um, but it talked about kind of the podcast on the left side dying and letting other podcasts kind of live. And there's, although I don't think we influenced other podcasts in any way, and I don't think we've kind of like kickstarted this new generation of podcasts, I think what on the left side did do is spotted a bit of a trend in podcasting coming, because like I say, everything was very long form, and every, it was quite a kind of amateur seen back then but fast forward to where we are now and there's so many brilliant sounding podcasts out there that have super high production values and also the length of podcasts there's a, there's a kind of trend to short form podcasts and the likes of Spotify for example are driving those shorter form listens as people's habit listening habits changed so there's an element of truth in that funny little sketch at the start that this is this was the beginning of something and whether it was us spotting a trend or whether it was us being part of the start of something i don't know but yeah it's it certainly there's an element of fact in that fiction i'm i'm really worried that we're starting to get very worthy so shall we do some funny stuff yes go on all right well first of all what i want you to do is can you remember the very first episode that we did nope <laughs> <laughs> okay but i could tell you what I, I reckon i can remember the pilot um and i think a lot of the early stuff i mean it's always been around the big hitters in football the, the podcast is always focused on like the big names because they're the ones that get the headlines so i'd guess the first episode had either jose Mourinho or wayne rooney in it when a winner chicken dinner yes uh, the very first story we did was about wayne rooney Boom. and his love life <laughs> of course it wasn't yeah something that never changed Wayne Rooney, the archetypal horny footballer, made an embarrassing Twitter gaffe this week when he accidentally liked a series of porn videos on Twitter. The England striker was caught out after favouriting a load of videos from the creatively titled Daily Sex Videos account, which provides daily videos of a sexual nature. I assume. I mean, I've not checked, obviously. Wait, you want to check my computer browsing history? Yeah, yeah, sure. Just, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. 
Oh, oh no, my, my laptop's crashed. You just have to take my word for that one. The highlight of this whole debacle was Twitter follower at Jamie Selly, who tweeted, More Nan would be better at social media than Wayne Rooney. The irony of that tweet being that I'm sure Wayne would have loved to involve Jamie's Nan in some way, but probably not quite the way that Jamie intended. <laughs> Mr. Mourinho wheeled out that old after-dinner family favourite, The Blame Game. Hello and uh, welcome to The Blame Game, the game where the only rule is never let the buck stop with you. Today we have Jose Mourinho trying his luck. Hello there, Jose. You shouldn't be with the microphone in your hand. Ha ha ha, that's what my agent always says. Anyway, let's get on with the game. First question to you, Jose. Who was at fault for your disappointing draw with Leicester City? I think lack of maturity because uh, we had childish decisions in front of goal. You say player maturity. It's good. One point to you, Jose. Next question. Who was at fault for United's nil-nil board draw with Southampton last week? One of the most promising young referees, not just in England, in Europe too, had a, a very bad decision that punished us. It looked for me very clear. So I think we deserve to win the we deserve to win the match. You're saying the referee. And it's a good answer! Well done, another point's on the board for you, Jose. Final question. The 2-2 with Burnley at home. Who was to blame for that result? We are trying to rebuild a football team. Manchester City they buy fullbacks for the price of the strikers. <laughs> you know? It's not enough. Ah, financial backing. It is a classic answer and it is worth another point on the board. Well done, Jose. A clean sweep for you. That is three points. But let's face it, you probably should have had nine. Better luck next time, Jose. Do you realise that we've done a lot of dog stories in the podcast? No, I didn't. Yeah. I mean, Alexi Sanchez was big on his dog, so when he was in his pomp we would have talked about him spending time with his dogs and whatnot but i don't remember that many there was a dog that ran onto the pitch during a game and afterwards they interviewed him really i don't remember that oh no yeah i do remember that it was south america it was in like um the argentinian first division or something just feels exciting doesn't it and it's even better when you know that the event being commentated on there is a dog on the pitch. Yet the purge of Sunday League up and down the land is also an ongoing concern for players in the Argentinian Premier Division. And it all kicked off after a doggo stole the ball in San Lorenzo's game against Arsenal de Sarandi. And as if the excited reporter commentating on the dog isn't enough, Argentinian TV took it one step further by actually interviewing the dog after the game. That is 100% genuine, and I love it. You just wouldn't get that on match of the day. The dog turned out to be a stray, and it's now been adopted by the club as a lucky mascot. Duh. Meanwhile, back home, the chances of a dangerous, rabid animal spoiling a good game of football were dramatically reduced this week, as Chelsea finally agreed to let Diego Costa move to Atletico Madrid. 
in a lesson for spoilt children everywhere. After point blankly refusing to even consider playing football in South London again, the incredible Sulk got his own way and engineered his Blues exit for a fee of 57 million quid. 57 million quid for a player who doesn't really want to play football may seem like a lot of money, but having bought a coffee in the train station the other day, it's certainly not the first overpriced coster I've heard of. That'll be £7.50. Do you remember we did the story about the footballer um, who they had a minute silence for with the bugle on the pitch and they all yes. observed it and he was actually lined up in the centre circle? Yeah, yes, I do remember that. And that's not, the f- that's not the only or first time that's happened in football. It's kind of a relatively common thing that takes place, which is brilliant. <laughs> it, they should actually do it in every game. You know, like they have the man of the match. They should have the worst player in the match. And they said, like, if you were dead, it would have made no difference to what's going on. <laughs> Like make, make him get into a coffin and slower lower him into the centre circle. Like, <laughs> You're dead to us now. We no longer need you. Uh, I'd possibly my favourite of, of all the random stories that we did, just in terms of the story itself and also how we covered it, uh, was when we had the international squad that named 98 players in it. And finally, if you're Bolivian, there is a very good chance you are now an international footballer. The national team has called up a whopping 93 players for their next two friendly matches. It makes the Bolivian team sheet look more like a weird takeaway menu than a football squad. Yeah, I'll have the number 36, Rolly Sajas, and uh, can you tell me how spicy the Matteo Zoc is, please? Either they're looking to play the classic 4-2-86 formation, or they found a way to dramatically reduce youth unemployment in the country. In fact, Maybe that's something we should adopt in England. You'd also be responsible for cleaning the staff toilets. Nah, I think I'd hate that. Next. Okay, well, what about this one? It's up to four hours a week, comes with a uniform. You have to deal with a torrent of abuse from your colleagues as well as the general public, but you'll get a bucket full of cash. That sounds interesting. I reckon I could do that. What is it? Left back at Liverpool. Over the last five years, we've, we've put a lot of work into the show. Fr- from From your side of things... Like, how much work would go into the into a regular episode? More than I thought, I think, ultimately. I mean, there was a period... So, I mean, we've kind of changed the way we did it and the way we structured it and when we'd write it and when we record it and all that through the years. The most recent incarnation was probably the most efficient for me, which involved sitting down on a Monday night and writing the script out. And so... For a 15 minute script it probably took me start to finish the actual writing process probably two hours um but in reality there was the research time that went into that and that spread through the week you're always keeping your eye out for stories you're looking for stuff on the internet you're watching match of the day with a slightly different ear so you're not really enjoying it you're kind of listening out for commentary or interview clips so or you're listening to the radio and it kind of affects what you listen to on the radio as well so you might be driving around and instead of listening to music you're listening to one of the sports channels so yeah it's really difficult to put a number on actually how much time went into on the left side uh, on a weekly basis what i could i've certainly noticed how much time i've got back since we stopped doing it a couple of weeks ago but um yeah probably more work than I'd initially thought it would be, or probably realised it was at the time. 
Well, just to give people an idea of how much fun that we've had working on this show, I thought it might be quite nice to read out some of our behind-the-scenes communications. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we use a little Can thing... Can you not read the ones that will get me into trouble, please? <laughs> so we use a, a little thing called Slack, which is a great piece of software which allows us to chat about things, and we would use that all the time for sending each other scripts and um, bits of audio we've recorded as well. So... Um, here is some of the communications. Now, bear in mind, this was all uh, written over this messenger service, but uh, obviously, uh, being on a podcast now, we're, we're going to read it out. Been having trouble uploading my audio. Should be done in a minute, but keeps failing. It's come through now, but it says the file is zero bytes in size. Have you tried clicking the link? Have you tried talking to me like I'm a person with feelings? Shut up. Does it work if you click the link? Okay. Hey, Mr. Ant. Hope you're okay and slept well. It was lovely to chat to you. Does that link work, my love, as I'm about to log off and go out? So I'd like to know if I need to resend you to begin your great work this week, my love. Why, thank you, darling. I do believe it's downloading now. Please hold. My dick. Fuck you, fuckface. Are you drunk again? A little. You have a face like ham. Ginger ham. <laughs> Sentient ginger ham. Do you want to eat my face? That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I was clearly drunk when I was writing that. I uh, like uh, a sentient ginger ham, though. Uh, the, uh, the, this is one of the advantages of doing a, a podcast this way, is that we don't have a HR department. <laughs> <laughs> you do look like sentient ginger ham. <laughs> and finally, it's time for my analogy of the week. Oh, really? Oh, I thought we had a jingle or something for that. Anyway, that chat almost got Jose the award for the post-match interview of the week. But instead, that goes to Maradona. I asked for a jingle there. Did you? I, bl- I bloody did. Every time this happens, um. post-match interview of the week needs a jingle. Something that goes, post-match interview of the week, da-da-da-da. Uh, okay, give us a minute. No, no, don't worry. It's too late now, just get on with it. To be fair, it was a brave fight for the Scottish, and at the end of the day, they took potential qualification right down to the line, to the very final game of the group, which is something to be pretty proud of, right? Surely, there was no way that Gordon Strachan, the manager, would piss on those chips with a shite excuse for not qualifying, was there? Genetically, we're behind. In the last campaign, we were the second smallest apart for Spain. Ah, that's a shame, because I don't think we've got a sound effect for pissing on chips, have we? What? Oh, all right then. I do remember having a meeting with a, a national sports radio station about on the left side and potentially we actually made a show for him which never got aired because the darts world final overran and we got bumped off the schedule but um i remember a conversation about them and then he brought up the voices and he said he liked how charmingly bad some of the voices were which was essentially he was referring to you putting on various accents and when you put on accents i mean we can do a little demonstration of it now I mean, <laughs> just speak now say say hello i'm ant hello i'm ant and i'm the producer of on the left side so now say that in a french accent hello 
My name is Ant, and I am the producer of On the Left Side. So essentially, it's, I mean, everything you do sounds like that person has spent at least 15 years of a 20-year life living in Rochdale. <laughs> so it was nice to have d- different voices on occasion. But as, as we've evolved, we've brought some really good people in. Yes. And we've already heard a bit of Kieran at the beginning, um, who was doing David Attenborough. But he also did uh, quite a few other voices for us as well. I'm at the Old Trafford the biggest club stadium in England. It's a lovely sunny day, but that is nothing to do with carbon emissions or global warming. On the pitch, it looks like Paul Pogba has gone down injured, the snowflake. His leg is bending the wrong way and he's unable to stand. What a bloody girl. And on that bombshell, it's back to you in the studio. Hi, I'm Kieran Sword, and I just wanted to record a little short clip saying um, how much fun I've had working with uh, uh, Ant and Jim. I still remember when I met Ant at some totally unrelated business networking event, and we were both wearing the same shoes um, and got chatting about audio. He let me sit in, in on a podcast he was doing, gave me some tips on kit. And the next thing uh, I got was, can I do a French accent? At which point I was (laughs) diving under a duvet in an Airbnb, um, trying to impersonate a footballer I'd never heard before, with my girlfriend looking on from the sidelines, wondering what the hell I was doing. Um, And since then, it's only got better. (laughs) There's not just been football. There's a whole array of characters that um, I've had great fun just chucking in and being let loose on, on scripts and stuff. Getting to be a... Like superhero announcer, being Superman on some of them, being like Gandalf. Ah, young Ole. I know you are happy here in Mold, but I have a mission for you. You must accept. It is the one you were born to do. Ah, great. Will I have my old mentor, Fergie the Grey, to help me? Ah, no. He's more of a figurehead now. Okay, well, still good. Do you have a special sword that warns me of nearby danger and evil? Not a sword as such, but we do have a new, very lucrative official sword supplier. Oh, okay. How about a magic ring? Um, I can maybe get you Fred to play in midfield. Oh, shit. You, uh, you like a sing-song, don't you? Um... Yeah, yeah, I think I do. There was a time that I would take my guitar down to various open mic nights when I lived in Leicester and empty the pub as quick as possible. So I think that's fair fair enough to say that. And we've managed to get a few sing-songs in on the show over the years. We've also written our own songs as well as we've gone through. Um, some crazy stuff that's happened. I remember us doing a great one about Deli Alley and about his full name and turning that into a song. Deli Alley's full name is Bambi Deli Alley, which just sounds like a song anyway if you say it enough. Bambi Deli Alley, 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 Bambi, 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 Deli Alley, Deli Alley, Bambi, you get the idea. 
I've got I've got something in my head. I've got my favourite song in my head at the moment that we've done. I think what you're thinking of is Mike Dean's 100. Yeah, that was it. it. Was every player that had been sent off by Mike Dean was that what was that what it was? Yeah. Yes, that that was right. I enjoyed that one because it was fun making all the players' names trying to rhyme with each other and arranging them. It wasn't just a reading a list. It was kind of arranging them in a way that each player's name f- fitted the the pace of the song and also potentially rhymed with one either side of it also also arranging them in a way that left some of them out and added some others in because when i came to make (laughs) the video for it i was like dude we're like missing four players and made up some names in there (laughs) is that a real player yeah yeah i wouldn't say journalistic accuracy was ever the strong point of on the left side He is a man, undoubtedly, who likes attention. So much so that I expected him to do a great big post-match interview with Sky Sports after this particular achievement. Mike, tell us about the 100th card. Yeah, well, it's a massive milestone, isn't it? If I'm honest, I didn't even know it was the 100th, but Smithsy told me afterwards, and uh, obviously I'm thrilled. It was just, uh, it just came to me. I saw the foul, and it was just instinct, boom! red card and I asked Ashley to sign the card after he told me to fuck off (laughs) great banter here's a good stat for you so Ashley Young was Dean's 100th red card his first was given to Nobby Solano back in the year 2000 for a handball so in honour of Nobby Solano Ashley and every other victim to Dean's little black book I present to you on the left side's tribute to Mike Dean's century First Steve Brown, then Damian Lewis, then Danny Tiato, Abby Yara, Staunton, Svensson, Solano, Steve Lomas, Mark Fish, Taylor and Diop, and Nicola Mug, Taylor, Canute, Duncan Ferguson, Jason Roberts, Nigel Quasi, William Gallas, Craig Dawson, Harry Dawson, Kevin Davis, Kevin Nolan, and now we're on to Sam, Sodji, Ben, Thatcher, Martin Taylor, Chris, Samuel, Lee McCullough, Glassif, Sis, and Raga, Helders, Kaima Logo and John Nobi Mucker Winston Palacios and Ibrahim Sonko Day Mion Johnson and Andy Figel Some Fernandez and Bernetta Sokoto Sebasson and Amanian Lubuay and Barry Ferguson, Diera and Michael Balak Lee Catamolan Andy Wilkinson Fay and Dean One Headed Damian the Silver Scotty Parker, Joey Barton, and the Vincent Company, Michelle Vaughan and Sessignon, and Jackie Wilshire, Chico Flores, Lee Ruffer and McGregor, and Richardson and Glen Murray, Lewis Dunk, 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 one matter, James McLean and Odin Arabat and Yadmin Yamazai, Stephen Pinar and Nathan Redmond from Gully and Winston Reed, Raheem Sterling, Bakayolo, Mark Brighton, Jamie Vardy, Matic, Rouse, Yedlin, Tedlin, Delf Schneider and Rob Brady. And Torres, he got sent off twice And then there's two for Corcelli And two for little Ashley Young And two for Williamson And two for Richard Dunn Some of my favourite episodes have been those stories that we've got from people and in those cases, it's been very different for us because it, obviously it's not scripted. Mm. And they've been really varied. So we've had, uh, I remember 
listening quite funny to you chatting to the Icelandic tourist board about getting people to oh, yeah. to support them. Did we speak to um, Dale Vince as well at some point? Yeah, from, from Forest Green Rovers. Yeah, about the chants they'd been because they'd started singing chants about humus humus on the terraces. No, that their, that was actually so you, you you're confusing. Like confusing too. Yes, with uh, Charlton and West Didsbury, who had That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if you missed that episode, here's what the chant sounded like. I know I go and watch Chorton and West Disbury, Whisper, Disbury and Chorton, in fact, I think it is. But yeah, I go and watch them every now and again because they're only down the road from me. So uh, yeah, I, I've now become, they've now become my second team in a way. My favourite of all the interviews that we've done, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember chatting to the lady who persuaded her Leicester City-loving husband to not renew his season ticket at the start of that season. <laughs> yeah. On the left side, wanted to find out more. And so, just like John Terry at the slightest whiff of marital disharmony, we tracked down Kate and got her on the phone. Hello, Kate. Hello, how are you doing? You all right? Kate, why did you persuade him not to renew his season ticket? Well, he, he got a new job over the summer and um, we've got small children and he wasn't really going to be seeing them in the week, so... I said, you know, maybe we should sort of focus on having our weekends as a... You played the guilt card, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, blamed my kids, yeah. (laughs) It was just a boring grown-up discussion, like you have when you're married. So, no, I didn't kind of, like, stand over him and make him cancel it. The form came through the post, and I said, you know, maybe you should have a year off. Obviously, I was wrong. You know, I'll hold my hands up. Okay, Um, at what point did that dawn on you, that you might have got this one wrong, you might have made the wrong call? Two games in. Two games, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was was pretty much straight away, wasn't it, really? We didn't speak about it for a while, but then um, it it got to sort of Christmas and it was getting a bit silly, really, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it all came out then. What have you offered to do that we can broadcast to make it up to James? Ask me that, like, what are you going to do to make it up to? I don't know what you think I should do. <laughs> I, I think you probably need to invest heavily in the club to ensure they have a successful second season. Yeah. You know, he's a really decent bloke and he's laughed it, well, to my face anyway, he's laughed it off. <laughs> but yeah, it's, obviously I didn't realise that this Twitter thing would go quite so out of control but I just kind of did feel like I needed to you know acknowledge it in public which is why I sent that tweet kind of like AA standing up I'm Kate and I've ruined my husband's life that kind of thing yeah 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 I don't make excuses it was it was a ridiculous decision Kate thank you very much I hope your marriage survives the season yeah so do I do you know what I think it's a great thing I think putting your family before your football club should happen unless it's the season they look like they're going to win the Premier League in in which case yeah. Don't make that decision. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. We've never really been shy about tackling some of the more sensitive issues that sometimes occur in football. And while we've never made light of some of the more serious things that have happened, it's certainly not stopped us from poking fun at the way other people have dealt with them, as demonstrated in this clip. The big story this week was a certain court case for a certain footballer. Adam Johnson's trial and sentencing even got top billing on the BBC website, who chose to cover proceedings in the same way they'd cover any major sporting action, with live text commentary. Really, they did. I didn't look too deeply into it, but I assume you could also get full match commentary if you hit the red button. And here he comes now, he's passed the solicitors, the judge is coming off the bench, he's into the box now, up, he 
and he's gone down. He could be in real trouble with the officials here. You know, we, we set a stall out to be, uh, initially it was the alternative football show and then we changed it to the, the funny football show. Mm. But in the time that we've been on air, there's been some not so nice stories as well. The Leicester City helicopter crash. Yep. There was the plane crash over the channel which killed Salah, who when he was on his way to Cardiff, and the pilot as well. And then there was one that was very close to our hearts, uh, which was the Manchester Arena bombing at the Ariana Grande concert. Yeah, and don't, don't forget as well, I mean, football's kind of a... It's a re- God, I'm going to get it really worthy and sensible again. But football is often a reflection of society. Um, and although things like the Manchester Arena bombing, for example, and we made this podcast in Manchester, so it's an incredibly close story to us. It wasn't directly involving football. It still had an impact on the footballing world and was reflected back as well. So it kind of felt right that we should cover that kind of stuff in the podcast. And yeah, it's difficult to make jokes, but at the same time, I think particularly in this country, if you're part of our English audience, you'll understand that the way... English people deal with tragedy and humour and you only have to look at social media now and the way that we're dealing with this a second lockdown and the, the the possibility of a second spike of coronavirus is we kind of deal with this stuff via humour and it's part of our psyche of kind of going fuck you bad stuff we're not going to let this get to us we're going to carry on so I think it's always been important to tackle the bad stories the negative stories in our own way, as as much as it's been important to talk about Wayne Rooney's penis. <laughs> Jose's pre-Europa League press conference was cancelled after a horrific attack on a Manchester music venue that shocked the city and put a dark backdrop against the biggest game of Manchester United's season. I'm not a Mancunian, not born and bred in this city, but I have lived here in Manchester for more than 10 years. And the way that Manchester reacted to the attack reminded me of all the things that made me want to move to this city in the first place. The pride, the integrity, the warmth, the compassion, the community spirit, the personality, the love and the ability, when surrounded by tragedy and horror, to still maintain that core Mancunian trait of being able to take the piss. Manchester, you were beautiful. But it's another of Manchester's adopted sons, a man with the heart of a poet that could put those feelings far better than I ever could. King Cantona. I think deeply to the victims, to the wounded persons, kids, teenagers, adults, to their families, to their friends, to all, all of you. All of us. I suffer with you. My heart is with you. Legend. Football as a whole did itself proud in the city. There were countless messages of support from players. City and United donated £1 million to a charity for the victims' families. And the Etihad Stadium even became the centre for missing persons directly after the attack. But there was still a game of football to be played, albeit a game of football that was played in an atmosphere very different to the one that you'd normally expect on a European final. A feeling that was summed up expertly by Mark Chapman on BBC Five Live in his pre-match build-up. I'm proud to call Manchester my city, the place where I grew up, the place where I live, the place where my family and my children go out 
like so many did on Monday night and never came back. I love the place and I'm in love with the place. The team here tonight are from that city and many will want them to win for the city. This is only a game of football, it doesn't really matter and I'll be honest with you, I don't massively want to be here. I want to be at home cuddling my kids and telling them that we'll go to the arena again to a gig and we'll sing and we'll dance but we will never forget the victims of Monday night. But we are here treating it as a football match with importance and with so much emotion for people back home. The game felt almost inconsequential. Paul Pogba scored a massively deflected goal which meant he was suddenly worth every single penny of that £89 million that was spent on him and Jose did what Jose does. Jose won the game that Jose had to win. My favourite moment of the whole match, in fact, came just after the final whistle. It's a fifth European trophy for Manchester United and they're walking wounded, some of which threw their crutches in the air as they uh, ran on the field to celebrate. And that's an understatement. These supposedly injured players leapt in the air and ran on the field with much more pace than Wayne Rooney has showed in the entirety of this season. But that's not saying much. We were listening back in the car and that clip came on. Even though we'd written it, even though we'd produced it, even though we'd heard it before, we both fell silent in the car. And I, I think you you started crying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I do I do remember that. And it feels, I mean, it, it seems very almost self-congratulatory to say, this was it kind of was an impactful bit of audio and I think it genuinely was and I'd kind of forgotten about it when we listened back to it that time in the car and at, at the moment at, at the time of recording I think when I wrote that and I said those words it it was a really raw thing that had just happened and I I've got a young child um he would have been three or something at the time of the original bombing and the concept of letting him go to a concert and then not come back when he got older kind of was my reference point there and every time I thought about the people who were killed in the attack I thought about that so yeah I mean it, for me listening back sort of brought up those emotions and it, it wasn't so much for me it wasn't like these are impactful words or this is a a nice piece of audio it was more a case of when you think about that scenario you kind of reflect it into your own life and go I, I can understand it tears up the emotions of how you would feel in those circumstances so yeah and I've listened to that since and in a similar way it, it gets me every time you said about football being reflective of society a little bit earlier the last few seasons have seen one particular theme pop up time and time again and that theme's racism yeah it's a sad part of the game and it's a sad part of the world at the moment that there seems to have been a rise or maybe not a rise in the people who have racist beliefs or racist thoughts but certainly a license for them to make those thoughts public and actually I think that's been one of my favorite things that we've done on the podcast is kind of tackling those opinions and tackling those bullies and again trying to do it in our own style because people who have thoughts that if you are a middle-aged white man you are superior to a young black footballer I mean as far as I'm concerned those people can get in the sea and we're not going to pander to 
their opinions or their tastes like certain newspapers might do. So it's completely right that we laid our opinions on the line in those circumstances. And and it's been fun to write that because, again, it's it's been the case of taking serious stuff and kind of getting a point across, but at the same time trying to make people smile with, with 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 what we're doing. One of the ways you've done that is by getting rather angry and shouty, like in this clip. <laughs> now, there are loads of things that it's okay to have a go at people from Arsenal Fan TV about, but the colour of their skin is not one of them. You can't really blame Spurs fans, I guess. They've got a team playing well, they're second in the league, there's some expansive, exciting football going on at the club. It's no wonder they think it's the 1960s again. In fact, maybe all of this is just some kind of Tory election trick. They're trying to get voters to remember the dark old days under a Labour government in the 1960s and 70s by taking the whole of the UK back in time. Bigoted, outdated, disgusting views and all. It's a funny old game, isn't it? For years, the governing body of English football has sagely shaken its head in disdain at racist chanting from Eastern Europe. They've tutted and demanded that something must be done when sections of the crowd sing dodgy songs about their striker's penis and have happily dished out fines with even the slightest hint of an anti-Semitic chant. Yet, it would seem they are more than happy to brush any suggestions of racism under the carpet if it happens to be presented on FA-headed notepaper. Of course, all of that wailing and gnashing of teeth is 100% appropriate when it comes to stamping out a completely undesirable side of the game. But... At the same time, once again, the recent parliamentary hearings surrounding the sacking of England ladies coach Mark Sampson over alleged racism has shown the FA to have the same kind of competency as the chief iceberg watcher on the Titanic. John Walker here from the Trample Bet podcast was gutted to hear from Ant that the show is coming to an end. Um, what's my favourite episode slash moment? Ironically, for this being such a light-hearted, funny football show, it was the 17th of December, 2018. Jim and Ant wrote a fantastic show covering the Raheem Sterling racial abuse incident at Chelsea, covered with the severity and seriousness it deserved, and managed to get some jokes in at Pierce Morgan's expense. That pretty much sums up why I love this show. <laughs> Raheem Sterling had the audacity to retrieve a ball for a corner and in doing so received a torrent of abuse from three fans in the front row, which in itself is a fairly common sight in football, which is mad. In what other profession could you just accept that in your day-to-day doing of your job, people are going to throw insults at you? Imagine if this was considered acceptable in any other form of employment, if you could just shout abusive appraisals as someone went about their daily business. What do you think you are doing? My mum could scan that packet of basmati rice quicker than that. You're a fucking disgrace, you mate cunt. For some inexplicable reason, that seems to be okay in football. We're more than happy to watch people in the stands do it every single week. But last weekend, it crossed a particular line. The difference between this incident and previous incidents was you could tell what the fans in question were shouting at Raheem and although no one can prove what was actually said and as much as those accused insist they were actually shouting mank cunt, which for some reason is okay, it very much looked to most people like a racist attack on a 24-year-old lad just going about his business. And it's sickening. 
It's not just the words that were said that are the issue, but when you look at the pictures, it's the deep-seated, throffing hatred on the face of the fans that are hurling the abuse. They mean what they're saying. Is that club loyalty? Is it passion? If so, then fuck football and fuck anyone who thinks that showing that kind of aggression towards another human being is just okay. Just because we wear different coloured shirts. The sad thing is, the main reason that this incident has garnered so much coverage isn't because of the words that were said by the fans. It's because of the words that were typed by Sterling after the match, when he took to Instagram, addressing the issue and placing a portion of the blame squarely at the feet of the tabloid press. He accused them of normalising such behaviour with their reporting on the lives of young black footballers. Look, we've talked about this before, and Sterling is one of the biggest victims of negative headlines around his personal life in publications like The Sun and The Mirror and The Daily Mail. He was vilified for taking an £80 easyJet flight despite earning £200,000 a week. He was abused for having the gall to eat an ice cream with his fiancée after England got knocked out of the World Cup. And my personal favourite from down the years was the time he went out for breakfast after the PFA Awards and was no doubt slightly surprised to read the headline afterwards that read Sterling treats himself to breakfast despite missing out on Young Player of the Year awards. How bloody dare he. All of those headlines, by the way, appeared in the Daily Mail, who limped into prompt action after the story broke in the same way that any racist does, by telling everyone that some of their best friends are black. Of course, the Daily Mail isn't the only paper that's writing stories and headlines like this, but they are certainly leading the charge at the moment. And just like you'd expect with the Daily Mail, Piers Morgan obviously came out on the wrong side of the argument as well when he suggested that these headlines surrounding Sterling had nothing to do with race at all and were in fact no different to those surrounding David Beckham, Paul Gascoigne and George Best back in the day. He then went on to invite Sterling onto his breakfast TV show, an offer which, unsurprisingly, didn't get a response. But you know what? If he really wants to find out what Raheem's views are on the topic, can always just hack into his voicemail, can't he? You have one new message. Hello? Really? Okay. Yeah? Is he? Alright. So... Apparently, there's something of a commotion happening outside the studio right now. Somebody said there's been some stuff on social media, and apparently, uh, lots of people have turned up to say goodbye to the show. We've sent Roving Reporter Charles Commons along with a microphone to find out exactly what is going on. Uh, bear with us. Um, we've not done this before, so um, I'm not sure. Right, there's Charles. Charles, can you hear me? Who do you think he is? Davina fucking McCall? Charles, we're, we're live. We're going out live? Fuck it now. What exactly is happening? Tell us what you can see. But he, he decided to stop it. He can't. Right, it's Charles. My fault. Charles, can you Don't hear me? me. I mean, look Charles, at we can hear you. Restless. I know. Um, I know. I don't think he can hear us. It's like they're waiting for Michael Jackson. Charles, we're on air, mate. Can you? With a child. It is. Someone messaged him. It is. White smoke going from the tower, like in Italy. You know, when the Pope dies or whatever it is. Charles, what exactly is happening out there? I'm coming to you live right now from outside on the left side studio where a crowd of well-wishers have gathered just to be here together for the final show. And the great and good of football are also in attendance with some very famous names coming to pay their respects. 
I'm going to try and get around as many as I can, starting with current Man United boss, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Oli, if you don't mind me saying so, you look absolutely crestfallen that there is no more on the left side. You're not happy, are you? It's an absolute joke, and it's just a horrible feeling. It's the worst day I've had uh, as a Man United uh, manager or player. Jurgen Klopp, you've been the butt of many jokes on the show. Are you surprised by how low you feel now that it's ending? Am I surprised that things like this can happen? No. Uh, it's not only footballing. And here's Tony Pulis. How are you doing on this tough day, Tony? I'm disappointed because it was, you know, and it has been a, a tremendous year for them. Um, and what they've achieved. I hear you. I hear you. Standing next to you, though, is the one and only David Moyes. We'll move along. This news was a real slap in the face for many people. Is it a disappointing day for you? I think it's a. It's, I think it's a disappointing day for us all, all around the world. Whatever you, if this is what can happen. Also, here is another former Man United manager, Louis Van Gaal. Do you have any favourite memories of the show? A lot of good creative uh, moments because in English it is very uh, difficult to understand. You don't understand, huh? <laughs> what a pity. Uh, you should learn. Uh. Well, I have to say it's absolutely wonderful to see so many people here. I'm sorry I can't get round to speak to you all, but we do have time for just one more. The final word to the best dressed man here, Gareth, Gareth. Yeah, just on behalf of the FA, uh, just wanted to acknowledge um, the way that you've covered the England team. I know uh, we're very grateful for the way you've uh, dealt with us over the years. Um, it's been a pleasure personally working with you and um, I think we want, all want to wish you well for the future. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, guys. From all of us here, it's back to you in the studio. One of the things I'll be taking away from me from my time on the show is the skill of writing a script specifically for Jim. Now that has to be done in a very particular way. Quite simply, it's this. Don't use any big words. Try and keep it under two syllables if you can. Otherwise, this happens. Ahead of this weekend's game against Brighton. This time to dismiss the... Fuck me. <laughs> this time to dismiss the... I'm never going to be able to say dismiss the statistic. This time to dismiss the statistics. This time to dismiss the stuff. Oh, fuck. <laughs> in fact, a taxi might be the first thing that Gareth Barry has ever moved in a forward direction. Forward direction. Forward. You said forward. 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 Not forward. 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 In a forward direction. Forward. For, what, what am I saying? saying forward in the car. Forward. In a forward direction. <laughs> God help me. <laughs> the first thing that Gareth Barry has ever moved in a forward direction. <laughs> some, some of my most favourite bits is uh, at this side of things creatively was when you'd send me a bit with all the outtakes and you were trying to get the, uh, there was one particular episode where you just couldn't get the word right and uh, <laughs> you did it about 17 times and I actually turned that into a bit of a feature of the show.
So I, can I just point out as well that you are dyslexic? Yeah, so what yeah. you're doing is you're mocking a disabled person. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just, to make, just to make sure we're clear on this. It's impressive, and even Henrik himself gave it the seal of approval with a cheeky retweet on Twitter. Good work, guys. Now let's see what you can do with Sunderland new boy, Papa And cut. Okay, everybody, let's reset and go again. Season two, episode three, take two. Sunderland new boy, Papi Digilobojdia. Take four. Sunderland new boy, Papi Digilobojdia. Take five. Take 13. Sunderland new boy, Papi Digilobojdia. Take 42. Sunderland new boy, Daja Pitji, Daja Dij. Digil Digil Le Take eighty-seven. The new Sunderland player. Do you know what? An interesting part of doing this podcast has been that people have listened to the podcast and had conversations with me, and it's kind of come up that I'm dyslexic. And there's a common misconception around dyslexia that if you're dyslexic, you don't, you can't really, you don't, you can't use. Um, Proving I can't use words, but you can't use words in a in, in in a kind of creative way. You're not a wordsmith almost, and I think there's a lot of craft that goes into the writing of on the left side in terms of not just making things sound continually interesting and using different phrases, but also making certainly with the latter episodes one thing flow into the other. So it's been an interesting part of it has been almost myth busting that a little bit for a very small group of people, but certainly some people. <laughs> Opinions are a lot like arseholes. I'm not really interested in Alan Shearer's. Typical. But it's not just the ex-England striker who likes to thrust his throffing views into our match of the day viewing throats each and every week. Spouting rubbish, wearing inexplicably tight shirts and mixing metaphors like, well, like, like I just have. And this week, the beloved football pundits of the UK have been excelling themselves. Firstly, I've got a confession to make. I cheated on you. I cheated on you with another podcast this week. I listened to Five Lives Excellence at Home with Colin Murray, where the affable Irishman visits some famous faces from sport at their own home. And this week it was Gary Lineker, crisp salesman and one-time England striker. Here's the thing. I don't think I have seen Gary Lineker do anything recently in which he hasn't, at some point, mentioned crisps. And when I say recently, I mean at any point since about 1995. So I was curious, exactly how long into this interview with Colin would it take Gary to slide in a little reference to his favourite snack? Ready? Here we go. Cup of tea as well, thank you very much. No sugar in this, is there? No sugar. You strike me as a person in later years who would have all sorts of new wave healthy drinks and smoothies and I would say the how fit you look for your age you probably drink kale yeah I do a bit a bit of juicing stuff you yeah. know and um, salt and vinegar that's <laughs> who had 17 seconds 17 seconds I'm not even sure the interview had really started at that point either but it's good to see his poaching abilities are as hot when it comes to endorsements as they were on the pitch any little gap and he is in there, which probably helps explain in some part why I saw a headline this week 
which read, Gary Lineker denies shagging crisps. For some unknown reason, the pundit was giving an interview with OK Magazine in which he decided to answer the question raised on a flag at Glastonbury last season, which suggested that he liked to indulge in sexual intercourse with crisps. What are you doing, man? You don't need to answer that question. In fact, just answering that question makes me more suspicious, especially when you decide to qualify it with a reason for your denial, saying that you think crisps would, quote, just crumble away, which means he has at some point considered intercourse with a packet of cheese and onion. Surely the top reason for not having sex with a packet of crisps is it's a packet of crisps. There is a train of thought, though, that truly believes that many players might react a little bit better to a bit of aggression, a bit of aggro from the crowd. And if that's the case, then surely there is only one obvious option. Stick Roy Keane in the stands, because wasp in human form Roy Keane Keane only seems to have got more angry, more twisted, more bitter and more frustrated during lockdown. And a fair amount of that frustration came out whilst he was enjoying not really sure enjoying is the right word in this scenario. Anyway, whilst he was enjoying United's big fixture against Tottenham Hotspur. Maguire and De Gea. I wouldn't even let him on the bus after the match. I get a taxi back to Manchester. <laughs> These are established international players. You do your job. We're trying to get in the top four. Not win leagues, by the way. We're just on about getting the top four. Shocking. I am, I am disgusted with it. Maguire, De Gea. You should hang your heads in shame. I'm just glad football is back for the sake of Roy Keane's loved ones. Imagine being stuck in the house with that for 12 weeks. Wasp in human form, Roy Keane. <laughs> He's an annoying prick and very violent. What a great, what a great bit of descriptive writing. I'm going to use that on the next annoying prick that I meet. You are like a wasp in human form. Brilliant. Now, stay away from my point. <laughs> Some football fans, however, are determined to keep the league as interesting as possible and are prepared to go to any lengths to do so. Dear Jurgen Klopp, my name is Dara. I am 10 years old. I support Man United and the reason I'm, I'm writing is to complain. Liverpool are winning too many games. <laughs> Most of the time, such an appeal would fall on deaf ears and end up in a waste paper bin. But that does not take into account what an annoyingly, skin-crawlingly nice man Jurgen Klopp actually is. Because he went to the effort of writing back to little Dara, saying... On this occasion, I cannot grant your request. Although our clubs are great rivals, we also share a great respect for one another. This, to me, is what football is about. Oh, it's just really difficult to dislike Jurgen Klopp. Annoying. Although for me, this doesn't just prove what a nice guy Jurgen Klopp is, it also proves that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is also too nice to be Manchester United football manager. And yes, he's not directly involved in this story, but do you think if maybe, say, Roy Keane was in charge of Manchester United, this would be the end of things? Nope, he'd already have Dara tied up in the Old Trafford boot room and he'd be writing a new, stronger worded letter to the Liverpool boss as we speak. Dear Jürgen, you better lose to Crystal Palace or the team gets it. Over the last five years of doing the show, we've heard some really, truly awful fan songs and we don't need to torture you with any of them right now. Not when we've got songs we did ourselves that we can use 
This is one of my favourite little side projects we did with guest vocals from the lovely Nina Green. Now, one of your other regular gigs is doing the new music show on a radio station, XS Manchester. Would you play that? I've heard worse. <laughs> I mean, what I like about that song is we called ourselves the alternative football show. That's clearly taking a bit of an alternative angle to keeping a tune. <laughs> it, wasn't, <laughs> it, wasn't the, it wasn't the most uh, tuneful rendition in the world. No, it's good. I've completely forgotten about that. I liked hearing that again. Well, speaking of songs, shall we do some chart success? Go on, him. I have in front of me, uh, in terms of per country, the countries in which we've charted highest in the Apple podcast charts. All right? Wow, okay. There are 10 countries. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, there's 11 countries because there's a joint second. But I want to see if you can guess uh, any of the countries uh, that were in the top 10 in terms of our own podcast on the left side over the last five years where we've charted highest. I'm not sure I can think of 10 countries. <laughs> Guess three. See if you can get any that are in the top 10. Philippines. Yes. Bingo, bango, baby. <laughs> we reached number 35 in the Philippines uh, iTunes charts. Ooh. Right. I'm going to go... Let's go to Africa. Let's go to Uganda. No, Uganda. In Ooh. fact, uh, we've not we've not breached higher than 65th in any African oh. podcast chart. It's disappointing. Um... Uh, Fiji. No, but pretty close. Uh, not so far. Uh, New Zealand, 27th. And Australia reached 24th. Ooh, okay. Uh, let me do one more. I'll go for... Well, do you know what? I've heard the Pope's a big fan, so Vatican City. Well, you know what? Our most... Uh, biggest success in terms of the charts in terms of getting into the top 10 in fact we reached number five in italy wow now bear in mind that all these countries that we've mentioned with the exception of new zealand australia don't actually speak english (laughs) (laughs) the best way to enjoy the podcast if you don't actually understand the jokes they're funnier Wayne Rooney sounded like he just needed a bit of a hug at the end of the game against the Black Cats. Um, it's a sad day for us, disappointing. Um, you know, we have to somehow move on. Um, we know it's going to be difficult now to finish top four. He actually sounds like someone's died. It's just your European ambitions that have passed on, Wayne. Cheer up, mate. It's not like you're giving your kids the initials KKK after all, is it? Oh, all right, OK. 
Not all Stoke City players were trying to shift the blame elsewhere, however. City favourite Ryan Shawcross was already looking for ways to get the team back to the top, even straight after the final whistle, and came up with a clear five-point plan. You've got to keep all your best players. It's pointless to all your better players. We need to get, keep our best players and get better players in. Uh, the Championship's a difficult place. So we've got to keep our best players and hopefully add to that. Hang on, Ryan. You're going too quick. Let me just write that down. One, keep hold of players. Two, not sell better players. Three, keep your best players. Four, get better players. Five, keep best players and add to it. Got it. Give him the manager's job. Footballers have mastered the art of speaking plenty but saying nothing with post-match chats where they talk about games of two halves, taking it one game at a time and lads who have done well. But Tottenham's Jan Vertonghen managed to distill his after-game chat down to the very essence of the art. OK, Jan's in a hurry, so this is going to be a very quick interview. Jan, what do you think of the game today? Yeah, very good. Okay. Thank you very much. Seven seconds in and out. And again, in slow motion, in case you missed it. Yeah, very good. But I think I may like this one even better. Mohamed Anas, who plays for Free State Stars in South Africa, didn't opt for the usual game of two offs cliches in his post-match interview after a draw with Ajax Cape Town and instantly landed himself in hot water with the missus. And I appreciate my fans also. My wife and my girlfriend. Yeah, I mean my wife. Yeah, sorry to say. I'm so sorry, my wife. Listen, I love you so much from my heart. Amazing. You've got to admire his honesty in front of several million people. Or no, I'm not sure he was being entirely truthful. Given the reputation of some footballers over here, a honest post-match confession would probably take a little bit more time. Another Man of the Match award. You must be feeling great. Yeah, I just want to thank my wife and my girlfriend and my other girlfriend and my bit on the side and that girl I was photoed with in that nightclub in the sun and that fan I met in my Range Rover outside the ground and those 16 call girls in that Russian hotel. Oh yeah, and that llama. I mean, they got weird, but thanks anyway. I think that's just about it. Cheers, Jeff. I've talked about where we were when the show came about. In the five years that we've been on air, there's been some pretty momentous things that have happened in football. Uh, FIFA solved racism. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then well, took their eye well, off the well, ball, you. obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I've been through at least two breakups. Well, uh, well that's a conservative estimate. <laughs> and Tony Adams and Gary Neville both went into and then very quickly left management. Crikey, yeah. So... Um, those are all some of the things that have happened. Lots and lots has happened. We're not going to get through it all. But here's a couple of clips of some of our favourite stories that we've covered. It's what happened next, though, that was really shocking. Instead of doing what most normal folk would do, and when I say normal, I mean even footballers, like flicking the V or winding your window up and just driving off, Cara decided to launch a well-aimed mouthful of spittle at the fan's car. And he scored a direct hit. At the same time, catching a 14-year-old girl who was sitting, innocently, in the passenger seat. Which, ironically, was the first thing a Liverpool player had got on target that day. Jamie Carragher spat on my daughter. Nice. Nice. Very nice, Jamie Carragher. My first reaction on watching that video wasn't disgust. It wasn't even surprise. It was amazement. Amazement at the sheer volume of spit that Jamie Carragher can conjure up, seemingly at a moment's notice. It was as if Niagara Falls was erupting from his mouth. 
if it wasn't so vile, it would be pretty bloody impressive. Wow! A man that can produce that volume of water in an instant could be the solution to third world drought. Don't sack him, pack him off to Africa instead. Just one Jamie Carragher can irrigate enough crops to feed an entire village. Please, give generously. The reaction to the clip was instantaneous and predictable. People wanted Jamie Carragher's head and demanded that he should be removed from his position as a pundit on Sky. After all, TV is no place for people who spit on others. Unless you're working with Bob Carroll, geez. He's called Spit the Dog. Carragher claims he was goaded a number of times before he finally flipped. But what actually made him lose his head is, well, it's nothing, is it? Two on, mate! Unlucky Jamie, lad! <laughs> Maybe he just really hates numbers as an irrational reaction to anyone who dares to tell him a scoreline. In which case, if he does keep his job in TV punditry, it's probably not a bad idea to keep him away from that dude who does the classified pool results. Southampton, nil. West Bromwich Albion, one. Leicester City, four. West Ham United, nil. Burnley, Jamie? What are you doing in here? You can show up as well, uh. <laughs> Aaron Ramsey will miss Wales Nations League game against the Republic of Ireland tomorrow after his wife gave birth to twins over the weekend. Full commentary of that on Five Live Sport. Hang on, what? Full commentary of Aaron Ramsey's wife giving birth? I'm not sure I'm into that. I mean, I know the BBC is struggling to hold on to the crown jewels in terms of sporting events, but... Come on. Let me just clarify something. Uh, due to my appalling delivery of the Aaron Ramsey story, we have commentary of Wales against the Republic of Ireland tomorrow, and Aaron Ramsey will miss that because his wife gave birth to twins over the weekend. We don't have commentary on Aaron Ramsey's wife giving birth to twins. Oh, thank God for that. Although now I've heard the other options, the birth commentary sounds slightly more appealing. Well, there's definitely some activity down there. Are we about to see an appearance from the much-talked-about Welsh duo? Everyone is looking dead on their feet right now, but can she buster one final push? Oh, and here he comes, bursting through the middle! Oh, that looks painful! Even if we include this episode now, we've fallen short of 300 episodes, which is a, is a seems like a nice landmark although really it doesn't mean anything you know if you're a footballer you'd want to get to those 300 goals or those 300 appearances uh we've fallen short of that we've also fallen frustratingly short of a million listeners oh how far, how far yeah. do we get how close uh we're just 980,000 short <laughs> <laughs> so close so close you can touch it but having said that just to put it all in perspective when we had only a, a, a handful of listeners to our first episode, I think we racked up like that first week we did the show, we had about 50, 35 or 53, I can't remember which, people mm. listened to our very first episode. Um, more fans listened to the final episode that we did in the regular season back in July uh, than were at Wembley for the FA Cup final. How many were at Wembley for the FA Cup? Didn't allow anybody. In. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who has been in the most episodes of On the Left Side? There's a prize for this one. Me. 
Oh, actually, no, it's not me. It is the band who record our theme music. Bada bing! It is indeed, yes. And actually, the band that broke up um, last year. Uh, but, oh, really? Yeah, but Ian, who uh, we've met and we've been to see uh, a couple of his gigs, Ian George uh, has now got a new band, and, well, and here he is to accept the award. Thank you very much for this totally unexpected award. It's been amazing being involved with On The Left Side. And thank you very much to Ant and Jim for producing such a great podcast and involving my music and letting me play a part of it. Coming from the West Country, growing up supporting Exeter City, any football-related award is uh, beyond my wildest dreams, so that's a lifetime goal achieved right there. The show may be on hiatus, but I'm still putting music out with my band Amongst Liars, so uh, please do check us out. Thanks again. That's been our theme music. Uh, on the show, we've used lots and lots of different voices. We've had um, guest hosts, we've had stand-up comedian Alex Boardman, radio presenter Damien St. John and Dotton Odebayo, uh, Amy Christophers has done two episodes. We've also had somebody in the show, and let's just be clear that if, about this, somebody who recorded several lines specifically for us. We didn't just nick it from an interview somewhere else, but somebody that won the World Cup for England recorded lines specifically for the show. Did we? Yeah. You'd think you'd remember that. I don't. The World, the World Cup, as in the Football World Cup, the proper 1966 World Cup. Somebody who won the World Cup for England <laughs> recorded several lines specifically for the show. Okay, I don't know who this is. It was Ebony Jewell, Cora Lee, Camelia Rosamond, Rainford Brent. Part of the England team that won the ICC Women's Cricket World Cup final in 2009. Ah, very good. Yeah, I got a World Cup winner to say Bellend on the show, which is my gift. <laughs> that is a good bit. <laughs> my gift as a producer. Paul Pogba has joined up with Le Blues ahead of their friendly with Colombia. And boss Didier Deschamps is concerned about the midfielder's well-being. He says that Paul will be offered professional counselling to help the £89 million player deal with the chaos surrounding his club life. Which leads me to wonder what exactly a therapy session with Paul Pogba would be like. And Jose Mourinho sometimes starts you on the bench. Oui. And that makes you feel like you need to express yourself with haircuts? Oui. Hmm. I can see how that might make you feel stressed. Oui. And do you think that's why you're such a bell end? Oui. You have one new message. First new message. Some village. The, the, the aftershave with the, <laughs> the grass and TV properly made me laugh. I just wanted to congratulate you and Jim once again on. Uh, the ability to uh, <laughs> make me have to stop the, the van, pull over and stop and laugh, take a deep breath, press play and carry on. Everybody was talking about Millwall crowd and everything and they were like, Shh. and we smell that, you know, and the place, nobody can smell it better than the place when you're on a pitch, when you smell that you are better than them. Now, I've heard of being able to smell fear. I mean, we all know what that smells like, right? But being able to smell that the opposition is slightly superior, it's a new one on me. Although, 
When he first joined up with West Brom, he did say this was one of the reasons he wanted to manage the club. No, I like this kind of a training ground. I like this kind that it smells of, of grass. Yeah. It's not five-star hotel. So maybe this is just his thing. There is a part of me, however, that thinks with modern football's attempt to turn every single thing into a commercial opportunity and rake in extra cash with various sponsorship deals here and there, this could just be Billich sowing the seeds for a potential West Brom eau de toilette in the future. Fresh cut grass. Marvin Billich. Shin bass. Short. Gussie. Marvin Billich. Deep heat. Sweat. The smell of the baggies. The new fragrance. Nobody can smell it better. I'm not sure it's looking that rosy for Wenger. Even celebrity fans are beginning to stick the boot in. Piers rent a controversial statement Morgan was on Talk Sport this week, delighted to once more climb aboard his Wenger out soapbox and give a damning appraisal of the manager's transfer policy. This is a guy who just spent £35 million on Mustafi and, and Xhaka. I wouldn't trust him with £10 to buy me a good sandwich, let alone a world-class player. 10 quid for a sandwich. No wonder the fans are pissed off if those are the prices at the Emirates. Or maybe it's just a really big sandwich. A really big sandwich that would probably do a better job at the back than most of the Arsenal defenders this season. And playing alongside Per Mertesacker, it's today's captain, Meatball Marinara. What for you is the memory or the skill or just the feeling that you'll take away from having done this show? Um, I should probably say something like working with you, Ant, and your dedicated hard work and commitment to a hopeless cause over the last... Keep going. But uh, do you know what? I don't think that's in the style of the show to say things like that. I, for me, I think the, the the highlight of the doing the show, and there's countless skills I've taken away from it, the discipline of doing a weekly podcast, the ability to write, not, not so much for myself, but the ep- times I've written episodes for other people. I think it's been really interesting and try to write in other people's voices. That's a skill I've certainly uh, picked up from doing it, but I don't think anything will beat the award nominations where we've actually, I think it was, was it the bronze award we won at the ARIA yeah. awards where we were, we, we were ahead of, or certainly competing with some of the biggest names in sport in terms of the best sports show, not just podcast, but the best sports show encompassing all podcasts and radio programs in the UK. And to kind of be two blokes dicking around in their bedrooms with microphones and a few stupid sound effects to be competing with an organisation with 300 people and a budget of million pounds covering live sport around the world to be on a level playing field, I think it's pretty remarkable and something that we should both be proud of forever. And the bronze award goes to on the left side. You've been nominated many, 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 many times for an award, and, and I, think, I think I've had about twelve radio and audio award nominations in my time, and I've never won a single fucking one. <laughs> and then on that night, you got a bronze for this, which was the first one, and then a silver for something else. 
So I still didn't win. <laughs> so this is the thing you keep saying. You're really, really bitter about this whole thing. You're saying still didn't win. Whereas Sean, who worked on the show for about like a week, like is like because he happened to be there when we won it, still claims that this is you know his award winner. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sean, and I used to work on the show, and I'd like to say a big goodbye to on the left side. On a year I worked with the team, I had listened to Jim's voice more than any of my friends and family, which still remains the saddest fact of my life. And the bronze Ari we won still remains a bragging right to this day. This week, footballing history was made with the first ever green card being shown to a player in a Serie B match between Virtus Entala and Vicenza. The green card incentive is awarded to players or teams that show exceptional fair play during a game, and it all adds up to their fair play tally at the end of the season. Traditionally, the winner of the Fair Play League ends up winning a European place in the Intertoto Cup, and I'm now slightly worried that the effect that this might have on teams over here. Take, for example, a team like Swansea, very unlikely to pick up a qualifying place in Europe by any other means. So why not go all out for the Fair Play place by picking up as many green cards as possible? Opposition striker can't jump quite high enough to head in a corner? Give him a leg up. Other teams midfield dynamo on a mazy run through your defence? Give them a big cheer of encouragement. How about the other dugout is looking a little confused over your tactical formation? Go up and whisper your secret set-piece tactics into his ear. Green card, green card, green card. You'll be in Europe getting smashed 10-2 by Bayern Munich in no time. And there's something to look forward to. But with red and yellow cards already, green cards doing the rounds in Italy and orange cards being discussed by FIFA, there's a good chance your average stadium could start looking like a branch of Clinton cards pretty soon. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Wayne Rooney could be handed a with sympathy card by the ref every time he fails to get on the pitch for United this season. Aww. Given the mental capacity of the average footballer, this is going to get very confusing very quickly, as the cards in the referee's pocket start to resemble a Dulux colour chart. Red, yellow, green, orange, but what does it all mean? Mm -hmm. Well, just like for primary school children learning their first colours, on the left side we've written a special song to help them remember. Are you ready children? Oi, Diego Costa, are you chewing? Are you chewing? Stop that. Pay attention. No, Cortinho, you can go to the toilet after we finish the song. Are you ready? Red, that's what you get when you kick someone in the head. And yellow, that's allowed for an unsportsmanlike foul. Green, that's in the mood if you have been really good at orange. That will be shown if you have committed an offence that isn't deemed a red card but should be considered worthy of a simple offence. The resulting ban is likely to be 10 minutes or approximately... Oh, fuck off. Should we just stick to the red and yellow cards this season? Good. What was your favourite swear word or phrase that you've used in the show? Because you do tend to get quite angry and let it all out. Yeah, I think I like a fuck and a cunt every now and again. Um, I, I quite like it when the swear words get a little bit more creative, when you can combine a swear word with a kind of normal word, like shithawks is a particularly nice phrase that I enjoy. So, 
yeah, I mean, we started off the podcast saying no swearing. Um, and then it sporadically went into, okay, you can swear some words and not others. And then on some episodes, you'd have one word that was sworn, uh, was bleeped, then the, the next use of that word wouldn't be bleeped. So the, it's been a bit of a sporadic use and uh, maybe uncontrolled use of swearing at times. But um, yeah, I, I'd say a shit hawks or something like that was probably my favourite. There might be some I've forgotten about, though. I do particularly like how we... Um... We, we sort of evolved and we went from where we would, you know, I remember distinctly episodes where we bleeped shit and even words like poo, uh, but then would let cunt go. Yeah. <laughs> because if you listen to Andy Reid on BBC Five Live this week, he doesn't think players are bothered at all. You kind of feed off that energy from the crowd. It's not so much the individual noise. It's more the feeling and the vibrancy that you kind of get. Uh, you know, I used to take corners and used to get quite a bit of stick when I go into the corners from some of the fans. I wonder if they could have somebody standing there shouting at people taking corners. If they let somebody in, give them a little bit of stick, put them off. Now, that is something I could get on board with. Not that I think players deserve to get thrown a load of abuse whilst they're just trying to do their jobs, but... I just really want to see the ad that goes in the local paper to recruit the person to hand out the abuse. Wanted. Corner player abuser. Must have a loud voice, be able to criticise players of every ethnic origin and background, have an expert knowledge of 20th century swearing, including how to operate phrases like f***ing and you f***ing shitting b***ing f***ing shitting f***ing twonk. Salary on f***ing you prick. I certainly know if you that'd be perfect for that. I'm beginning to think that Harry is just, in fact, the master of mind control and has some Darren Brown type abilities up his sleeve. First, he convinces the dubious goals panel that he did, in fact, score the most dubious of all goals. And now he's managing to mind bend apologies from the FA for a lighthearted dig. With that kind of talent, I'm amazed he didn't walk away with the PFA Player of the Year award this week. Sorry, Harry, but if you don't have your invite with you, you can't come into the awards. You don't need to see my invitation. We don't need to see his invitation. Mo Salah isn't the player you're looking for. Mo Salah isn't the player we were looking for. I can go and pick up the award myself. Come on now, mate. That goal was one thing, but player of the year, fuck off. Move along. <coughs> don't forget your violin. Wanker. You, you mentioned earlier on about how you couldn't be fucked to, with any of the production. Um, but for me, it's been the joy of this show, even though it's kind of taken over my life for about five years. Um, there's been a few sound effects that we've used a lot. Um, what has been your favourite sound effect or the one that's annoyed you most? I don't have a favourite because I hate them all equally. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean... As I, I don't know whether listeners have this same thing, but there's certain ones that pop up all the time. Um, one of them, which I'm, I don't know whether it's you doing the voice or whether it's a genuine sound effect. It's someone going, ooh, or something like those. It's kind of like, sounds like a Rochdale Scooby-Doo. Is that you? It, that is that is me. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. That one pops up all the time. That one. And there's also, we use the cash register yeah. sound effect quite a lot, which whenever I hear it, I go, I mean, I'm... F- I'm, I'm my age now. I'm 41, and I don't think I've ever heard a cash register make that noise. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how, when the last time cash cash registers made that noise. So I don't know whether that's even relevant. It's like 
pointing to my six-year-old, uh, showing him a picture of a floppy disk and going, what's this? They just wouldn't have a clue. And I don't think I have a clue what cash register noise is. So that pops up all the time. And I always wonder how relevant it is. So they're, they're two. That does get used on one of my banking apps, actually, whenever I do a transaction. Really? Yeah, so it connects to my phone. Why? It, it should be like a beep or something now, surely. Or a card decline noise, in my case. <laughs> Grime artist Stormzy not only had everyone over the age of 30 asking... What the hell is a grime artist? Mm-hmm. But also had the privilege of announcing the French midfielder's arrival at Old Trafford with his own especially commissioned song. And for those of you, like me, who are far too middle class to make out what the hell he's saying, you probably missed my favourite line in the whole thing. Shut down Malia, shut down Iceland. Oh my God, this shit's not fair. Come on, mate. You're the world's most expensive player and the only thing you can come up with to celebrate this is victories over Iceland and Malia. You might as well have gone for, I like a ham and cheese toasty, but don't judge me because I got boasty for the impact it has. We've been doing the show for about a year and we'd been invited to the Football Blogging Awards as guests Mm. uh, and that was held at Old Trafford. We're at the back of the room and we're on a table with all these bloggers and uh, I think Cheeky Football were there and we, we all had very cool jackets on because we're all dressed up and we're stood at the back of the room because you don't like to speak to people or socialise and we've both got a beer and you just leaned over to me and said it's a shit name isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I said what is and you went on the left side mm. and I was like well you came up with it so what, what would like can you just ex- explain, explain that and also i can't remember because <laughs> i remember you saying that that tim cocker who occasionally was our roy hudson voice and he mm. was you met tim through producing for him but tim apparently had come up with a really good name for your idea yes and i can't remember what it is and neither can he that, which is which is the kind of problem. I think I don't know where on the left side came from. I think in my head it was kind of like here's a slightly sideways view at football, but I don't. It doesn't really make any sense. And I think with podcast titles, so for example, uh, relatively recently I started a, a daily Premier League podcast and called it Premier League Daily, which made a lot of sense. And I got a call from the Premier League saying, please don't call it Premier League <laughs> Daily, otherwise we're in, involve our lawyers. So if you want to find that now, it's Football Social Daily, by the way. But it was a podcast title that kind of said what it did on the tin. And on the left side, never did that. And it, it's certainly not been helped by the fact there is also a podcast called, a very successful podcast, called Last Podcast on the Left, which often gets confused in the searches when you uh, search for on the left side so I, I can't really remember where the podcast came from or where the title came from or why i decided to call that or why you let me call it that as the producer of this show you should have came up with a better <laughs> title but it, it potentially a bit more obvious would have been a way to go bearing in mind that i've like since we started doing this show i've been um quite active going around on uh, to podcast events and speaking mm. and one of the things I, i've been speaking about is how to name your podcast and how you should name it exactly what it what it is so uh like snakes on a plane mm. so you know what that movie's about just from the title but even but even then what would you call it what would you call it jim talks shit about football yeah that kind of works <laughs> in, in, interestingly enough samuel L. jackson they wanted they didn't when they were making snakes on a plane and they signed up samuel L. jackson they suddenly went you know we're not going to call it snakes on a plane we're going to call it flight 285 or whatever 
And Samuel L. Jackson was like, I'm only doing it if you call it snakes on a plane. So he understood that. If we'd got him on as a podcast consultant from day one, like I probably suggested, (laughs) none of this would have happened. What I found interesting, though, is how other people have interpreted it. So the people that did listen, what they thought it meant. And I remember when we were getting some artwork done, we met with an artist. And he thought it was a reference to um, when he used to go and watch football at Old Trafford, I think it was. Yeah, that's and the right. play the players used to come out on his left side, which was, and it was almost as if he interpreted it as being that, but that would have only applied to people who went to a stadium or who sat in a particular seat when the footballers <laughs> came out on their left. Very side. niche audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least for the last three seasons of the show, your voice is always pitched to the left hand side. <laughs> really. Did you not know this? In a desperate attempt to give it some meaning. <laughs> yeah, so so you'll always find that your voice um, is skewed about 20-30% to the left, and then any guest voices will be on the right side. Uh, that, that probably explains that when I why when I listen to stuff sometimes, I'm like, levels are too high on that. The music's <laughs> too high in the background, because I often listen to stuff with one headphone. <laughs> Liverpool fans lined the streets to welcome Pep Guardiola's team to the city of Liverpool with bottles, flares and bricks all being lobbed in the direction of the team coach. It was a scene pretty similar to the one we saw last year when Manchester United turned up to play the final ever game at Upton Park. I say it was similar, there were some pretty big differences as well. The major difference being the reaction from inside the coach. You may remember that this was how the United team reacted to the fracas in East London. Oh, 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 well, the behaviour of the Man City team was a little, well, calmer. Pretty chilled out, right? Although I don't think that fella's going to be getting a job at the Liverpool Tourist Board anytime soon. Although this was the bit that really caught my attention. We need a kitchen. Okay. <laughs> oh, seriously, we need to get all the food across, Dave, as well. Yeah, yeah. Can you make sure we get the same kitchen, then? A kitchen. A coach with a kitchen. That coach never had a kitchen. That fella is just trying it on with the insurance company. Yeah, John, tell them the windows have gone, uh, and the kitchen, uh, yeah, we need a kitchen, and uh, yeah, the laptop's gone, and uh, the PS4's gone, and the Mona Lisa, and uh, we had a priceless collection of Fabergé eggs. Yeah, tell them that, John. Liverpool have apologised for the damage that they did to the coach, but they're yet to apologise for the damage they did on the pitch. I don't think that anyone would accept that incident as a genuine excuse for the team's performance. It was just an embarrassing day at the office for Manchester City, and it was about to get even more embarrassing. Unfortunately for the club, they had chosen that day to unveil their brand new commercial partnership with Tinder, the dating app. I say the timing was unfortunate. Actually, the piss-poor attacking display from the Blues did give everyone the chance to make exactly the same joke on Twitter. Whoa, Tinder! Well, it certainly looks like City needed help scoring tonight. There were rumours a few months ago that Tinder were going to get into bed with Manchester United. But after that relationship broke down, Tinder struck true to their brand values 
and apparently hopped straight into bed with the nearest option that showed an interest. In fact, it's more the kind of deal you would expect from the red half of the city rather than the blue, a club who already have noodle partners and official paint partners. Clearly, now they're lagging behind their noisy neighbours because do they have an official fuck buddy partner? No, they do not. City's official line on the partnership was... Tinder is a huge global platform which, just like football, is bringing millions of people together every day all around the world. Yeah, which is true, but unlike Tinder, a liaison with football isn't likely to end up in a visit to your local VD clinic. Oh no! And as if to demonstrate what the app can actually do for you, within days of revealing they were using Tinder, City got screwed by men in both Liverpool and Manchester. But at least everyone is taking the Tinder deal dead seriously. I mean, even the BBC's line of questioning with Jose got a bit sleazy after the match. Can you give us a window into your dressing room at half-time? Pervert. Manchester City's home ground may soon shake off its unwanted reputation as the library of English football. And no, they haven't got that reputation because their fans have an insatiable thirst for literature. Unless literature happens to be the name of a new Brazilian left-back that Guardiola is lining up in the January transfer window, that is. Apparently, the city boss is all too aware of the quiet atmosphere on a match day, and he has personally asked the club to take action. But what action should that be? How do you get a crowd excited nowadays? Mm -hmm. Maybe you should invest millions of pounds in big-name players that are capable of winning trophies. Uh, yeah, they've done that, Jim. Oh. Okay, well, how about you bring in the world's greatest manager to lead the team and produce football that is rarely seen in the Premier League? You mean like Pep Guardiola? Okay, well, what about making the season tickets really cheap, like the cheapest in the Premier League? Yeah, done that too. But, uh, dimming the lights and projecting a blue moon before a night game? Way ahead of you. Oh, fuck it, I give up. So, here's the big question then. Why are we calling it a day? Because uh, I hate you. <laughs> um, I mean, from my point of view, and you probably got your own take on this, there, there's two reasons, I think, to call it a day. One is the show's been for a lot in five years and there's been some absolutely crazy, unforeseeable things happen that you have correctly pointed out over the course of this podcast. Um, and it's never, ever going to get any crazier or unprecedented than lockdown has been. And we continue to do the show during the first lockdown. God knows what's going to happen now. And it kind of felt like that was a bit of a moment going, this is fucking mental. And there's no way this is ever going to happen again. And it would be difficult to, it kind of felt like an appropriate stop point. The other thing for me is the time. Obviously it's been a time concern and there's other projects and other things to do and, and there's only a finite amount of time in the day and I have a family and I have a child and all that kind of stuff. But also, and I don't know whether you felt this, I felt there was an element of the show starting to get a little bit stale. And you talked about the jokes that we've, the jokes we've made on repetitive basis and that, that, that kind of hits home a little bit because it felt to me like there was a case of we'd be repeating our old ground because there are, are only a, a finite amount of different stories in football um, whether it's a manager making an excuse whether it's a player cheating on his misses whether it's a VAR call got wrong it kind of all falls into almost 
certain categories. And although we never repeated a piece, it felt like there were similarities between what we were doing. So for me, it felt like it was time to go, do you know what? Let's let's step away. We've done enough. I don't know what, whether you'd agree with that or whether you'd have your own reasons. I think there, there is an element in there where at the end of each season, we've pretty much said... We're not doing this again, <laughs> and then we, we and then and then what's happened is we've had like six weeks off, and then you've messaged me and said, "Let's do it again. I've got an idea. Let's run with it. Let's really do it." And then we've been looking forward to a break, and then you're like, "Oh well, let's cover the Euros." And then in between, when there was no tournament, you're saying, "Well, let's let's keep the show going, mm-hmm. or let's bring the show back and do it twice a week." And there's been an energy energy around it, and and for me the. Um, for, through lockdown, actually, through that first lockdown, it was uh, it was a touchstone for me. It was something that was normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when everything else had gone out, we still had that that thing where, like, I knew I'd always be doing this and I'd be looking around it and making this show. And it also gave me the opportunity to spend a bit more time on it. And I, I spent too much time on it anyway. But it was the I di- I didn't have the other pressures of of, of normal life in the way. Um, I do think though that we're so close to it that we maybe uh, are being a bit picky about it. I think actually... Completely. No, no yeah, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. We are being picky about it. I don't think anyone would, know, would notice the things that I've mentioned. But at the same time, this podcast has always been uh, about ourselves. <laughs> rather than, It's a vanity project. 100% is a vanity project. It's, it's had a decent amount of people listening, but not a huge audience and the people that have cared about it undoubtedly more than anybody else has been you and me. So yeah. I think if, if the satisfaction is not quite there anymore, um, maybe it is time to put a pin in it. Interesting. You say that we've always had this moment where after a podcast, we've gone after a season, we've gone, maybe it's time to call it a day. There was an interview with Dave Grohl the other day and he said, he does exactly the same with Foo Fighters. They get back off tour and he goes, that's it. That's my last tour. I'm never doing it again. And then three months down the line, they're back in the studio. They're making new music. They're going on tour. So who knows? Three months time, if someone drives a truckload of money up to my door particularly, <laughs> maybe we'll do it again. Um, I'm not sure we can top that. Uh, we're just going to call it a day there because you've just compared us to the Free Fighters. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> FIFA are already getting their ducks in a row and have asked all competing nations to come up with a catchy slogan to adorn the side of each team's bus. And England fans are being asked to have their say. So, what's made it onto England's shortlist for on-bus messages? The final three are... Send us victorious. Meh. Drive forward as one. Mm. And pride, passion, together. Whatever. Personally, I much prefer two of the genuine fan suggestions. This is a better coach than Gareth Southgate. Brilliant. Or just... Keep the engine running. But those suggestions have been kicked into touch. For some reason. To be honest, when it comes to slogans painted on buses, the UK hasn't had the best time of it of late. So, I'd suggest we just go for... We pay England footballers £350 million a week. Let's fund the NHS instead. Sorted. Because right now there are two types of England fans. Firstly, the good ones. Fans who are so surprised and delighted that England have reached the semi-finals that they've been struck stupid by the success. Fans like this guy being interviewed after the Sweden game by Channel 4 News. Pickford was great. Henderson was great. This 
is just great. I mean, I mean, it's great. It's just great. It's great. It's just a great interview. I mean, it's really great. Great. It was a similar emotion to that of Chris Waddle, a man who knows World Cup pain all too well, on commentary duty with BBC Five Live, who was just overcome with emotion as England powered through to the semis. Chris, how does it feel to watch another England squad reach that stage? Uh, Kelly, it's just unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't believe our witnesses. It's, um, it's quite uh, emotional, actually. If that's Chris Waddle's reaction, what the hell was Gaza like? Think someone should go and check on Gaza. And it was the last game for Republic of Ireland hero Robbie Keane as well, as he hung up his boots after his 146th cap and 68th goal in a 4-0 victory over Oman. And Robbie had this piece of advice for any player that was following in his wake. No, never underestimate putting that jersey on. It's the best feeling in the world putting that green jersey on him. And it has been for me for, for 18 years. I'm not sure what it says about your life when the highlight is getting dressed, but I kind of know what he means. I've got a green jersey and I love it. In fact, I'm going to put it on now. Ah, oh, lovely. Cashmere mix, this. Good call, Robbie. Thank you very much to everybody that's listened, that's left a review, that shared the show. And also, I, I think I'd, I'd like to thank everybody that I've lent on and pulled in um, to do bits on the show, uh, because it's literally been a case when I've been doing it, if you've been around or ever your number, I've got you involved to do something. And again, like, I, like you say, we've, we've done this on a shooting. We've never asked money from people. We've never done a Patreon. We've, we did experiment with a couple of sponsorship things, which never really took off, but we've just done this for the love, really, which is, maybe is a bit short-sighted and stupid now. Um, but yeah, thank you to everybody that's been involved. And actually, we're, we're going to try and name as many people as we can in the credits, but it's not possible to name everybody. Final word from you? Balls. <laughs> <laughs> All the best to you guys, and uh, hopefully... Um, see you guys soon when you get bored and you realize that you made a terrible mistake and you're like oh on the left side's back it's gonna happen you know it's gonna happen i truly believe i wouldn't be in the position i am now if i had not had that time with the team and have incredible mentors who really took the time to uh, push me to my limits and I'd like to say a big thank you to Ant and Jim. I don't think you guys realise how much heart that podcast actually had. So disappointed in you both because it was my favourite thing to listen to. I cannot believe you are shutting down my favourite football podcast. I had so much fun taking over on the left side only twice and I'm so gutted that you guys are finishing it because well if I'm honest I was hoping to take over from Jim so uh no one's more disappointed than me believe me you know you guys had so many good episodes I really don't know why you're finishing it if you guys ever want to come back just let me know it's been really fun to listen to I've really enjoyed it although not enough Jim to leave a review I'm sorry about that anyway i'm sure that had no part in the reasons that you decided to stop doing it but yeah i'll miss you i just want to say a huge thanks to the guys for the hours of travel and to and from work you've joined me on you will be sorely missed
I just have to thank Ant and Jim again for all the hard work they've put into the show. Um, and thank you for, for having me along for the ride, guys. And I look forward to uh, seeing the next project that comes along. Uh, I love this show. I love it. It's, it's like bits of every show make me laugh hard, hard. Um, but it's evolution, right? It's necessary. Things are born, they grow, they develop, they wither, they die. I'm going to go and have a little cry now. Thought it might be fun if we all did a group credit. I don't know if you could either layer up everyone or just splice in little bits of bits and pieces from everyone else. So someone starts, someone finishes, etc. But I'll just do the credits. Um, on the left side was written and produced by Ant McGinley and sang. What's that saying? By him, Ant McGinley, and my. me. me. <laughs> Nailed it. On the left side. Yeah, outtakes for the credits. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> Delivering what you want. On the left side was written and produced by him, Ant McGinley, and me, Jim Salverson, and featured contributions from some other people less important, and I think you need to ask yourself. Given the success of the show, did you really contribute enough? It was hosted by Dot and Adebayo, Alex Boardman, Amy Christophers, Damien St. John, Jim Salverson, and some other guy. Additional production work came from Sean Alsop, Luke Berry, and Lucy Lavery. Some of the singing voices included Adam James Evans, Nina Greener, Philip Lanos, Ian George, and Glenn McConnell. With additional voices from Kieran Sword, Alex Whiteley, Sean Alsop, Charles Commons, Ian Alsop. Lindsay Jean, Anthony Laning, Ben Nicholas, Tim Cocker, John Walker, and Victor Gannon. Bye, guys. See you later. <laughs> On the left side, the funny football show. <laughs> it's all over. Mic drop. I hope you enjoyed the football show. Now it is time for me to go. It was written by and produced completely by Jim Salverson and Matt McGinley. If you didn't think that it was shit, go to iTunes and subscribe to it. We covered the news from on the pitch. Now it's time to go because I want a sandwich. Ooh, bread, bread, sandwich with ham on cheese. Uh. Mike drop Jim out. <laughs> Alternative ending for you there, Ant. That's that dog. Cheers, Jim. Top work. Um, someone here to see you. Uh, Mr. Bear? All oh, right. Let's send him in. It's open. I've really got to go. <laughs> Immature. All right, Jim. Do you want? The show's over, mate. <laughs>
Yeah, so on the left side, I, I discovered fairly recently, and it's um, produced by this chap called Jim Salverson, who's a, he's a radio producer and kind of football nut um, based in Manchester. So I think another guy write, helps write it, but he produces it all as well. 